You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Shalom. It's uh, really, really nice to be here at uh, Shabbat Under the Stars and Yashikach to uh, Steve and Allison and to Gary. Um, beautiful davening, beautiful service. I'm looking forward to the second half. So that tune that we did for Lechadodi is probably one of my favorite songs. And, that, and I don't know if those of you who didn't recognize the tune, it was Leonard Cohen's song, Hallelujah. And that song always gets to me. I come, I'm married into a family of diehard Leonard Cohen fans. So by, by marriage, I became a diehard Leonard Cohen fan. And there's one line in that song that always, always cuts me to the core and brings me to the verge of tears, which is, even though it all went wrong, I stand before the Lord of song with nothing on my lips but hallelujah. How many of us orient our lives that way? That we don't have the things, everything that we want. We may not have as nice things as our neighbors do. We may not have been, we may not be, you know, in a place in our career where we would want to be or a relationship failed and the person down the street seems like their marriage is going great and ours seems like it's in nothing but trouble. And how many of us are in those kind of situations And do what Leonard Cohen says he did, right? Even though it all went wrong, I stand before the Lord of song with nothing on my lips but hallelujah. My guess is that if you're anything like me, very few of us have our lives oriented that way. We are much more focused on what isn't going right in our lives and what we can do to change the perception that things aren't going so well and how can we meet the standards that exist outside of ourselves? How do we meet the standards that our neighbors have and our friends have and all the people whose news feeds we read on Facebook and they're all posting all their wonderful things that are happening in their life and we sit there, we read the scroll of the news feed and we say, man, I wish my life was like that, right? I wish I was having that fun cruise in the Caribbean that, uh, that they're posting all of their pictures on. I wish I was having that amazing 90th birthday party with 10,000 people there, right? I wish I was having all of those things that my neighbors are having. And so we spend a lot of our time thinking about what we don't have and what's not going well. Not a lot of our time thinking about what we do have and being joyous for the blessings that we have in our life. Bruce Springsteen also has a song He says in the song Badlands, poor man want to be rich, rich man want to be king, and a king ain't satisfied till he rules everything. Right? So this is something that is endemic to the human condition. All of us, at some point or another, have had times in our lives where we have wanted something more than what we have, and we become preoccupied with it, obsessed with it. It drives us. It controls us in a way. It takes over our lives. I'm seeing some nods because I bet that this has happened at least once or twice, but maybe very frequently, if you're like me, to a lot of us in this room. We all 
want those things that our neighbors and our friends and other people in our family have. And so we're driven in a lot of ways and in a lot of instances by those things. But the truth of it is, just like Springsteen said, the danger, the the spiritual decay that's inherent in that outlook is that no matter what stage we get to, if our orientation is what we don't have and what other people do, then there's always going to be someone who has something that we don't have, who has a life that we want and wish we had and haven't achieved yet, no matter what plateau we get to, no matter what echelon we get to. And so if we're not careful, it can consume us. It can drive us. Every waking moment can be, how do I achieve a level in my life that is the same as his or the same as hers? Menachem Kellner, who's a uh, scholar, rabbinic scholar, scholar, calls this condition, this condition of envy, this condition of desire, he calls it predatory. It's predatory on our hearts. It's predatory on our souls because it seeks out that which we lack in our lives and latches on and eats us from the inside. And so that's precisely why our Torah portion this week, in a reiteration of the Ten Commandments, the Tenth Commandment, the one that's usually forgotten, is lo tachmod, do not covet. And that's how it is in Exodus, in Deuteronomy, which we read this week, is lo titavet. Do not desire, which is a slight difference, but the same general thrust. Don't want something that doesn't really belong to you. Don't desire something that you don't have. Not necessarily because of what some of the commentators and a lot of the rabbis say, because it's going to lead you to steal something or to commit adultery or to commit one of the other uh, violations of the Ten Commandments. It's not necessarily because you're going to do something wrong with that desire, but because the desire itself is spiritually corrosive. Because if that's what drives you, then all of our lives are going to be dedicated and focused to achieving what someone else has, which means that that level of wealth, that car, that house, that job, that spouse, that boyfriend, that friend, that cruise, those will be our gods. That will be what we serve. And that puts us at risk of violating the first commandment. I'll do not have other gods before me, God says. So there's a great story of a guy who was, had no joy in his job, He had no joy in the village that he lived in. He had no joy in his family, in his house. And so one day he was just fed up and he begged and he pleaded with God. He said to God, please God, just take me to paradise. Show me paradise. And he begged and he pleaded. And finally God's voice comes out and says, are you sure that's what you want? And the guy says, yes, with all my heart, that's what I want. So God acquiesced showed him the way to paradise. And it turned out that paradise was only a few days' journey from his village. So the next morning, he set out. He set out on the road. He walked until evening time. And seeing that it was about to become night, he said, okay, well, since this is a few-day journey, I'm going to stop here for the night under the shady tree. I'm going to rest and then pick up the journey the next morning. 
And so he said, well, you know, I might get lost the next day. I might forget which way I'm supposed to go on the road. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take off my shoes. I'm going to put them on the road and I'm going to leave them pointed to paradise. And he did that and then he went to sleep. Well, who knows what happens in the middle of the night. Maybe it was an angel. Maybe it was an imp. Maybe it was a squirrel. Someone turned his shoes the other direction. And he woke up in the morning and saw his shoes, put on his shoes, and started off on his merry way to paradise. So not much more than uh, later on that day, by around uh, noontime, he sees at the top of a hill, he looks down, and there's this village And he says, ah, I made it. This must be paradise. So he goes down to the village, all excited, overjoyed. He gets there and he says, oh my goodness, look how vibrant and bustling this village is. Look how beautiful it is. Look how full of life all the people are. It's not like my village back home, which was so crowded and all the people were just so busy all the time. Look how energetic this place is, full of life. And he rejoices in it. And then he smells the faint smell of cooking food in people's homes. And he realizes, hmm, that smells really delicious. You know, I'm kind of hungry. Since this village looks a little bit like my village, I wonder if there's a street in paradise that looks like my street at home. And so he travels in the direction that he thinks is the right way. And wouldn't you know it, he finds a street that looks almost identical to his street at home. And he finds a house that looks almost identical to his house. And he says to himself, wow, this looks kind of like my house, except for my house is so small and cramped. And this house is so quaint and cute and, uh, and has so much character. And so he knocks on the door, and he sees a woman who answers the door who looks just like his wife. And he says, and he says to himself, he doesn't say it to her, he says, well, you know, my, my, this woman looks just like my wife, except for so much more youthful, so much more beautiful, so much more curvaceous. And, uh, and she says, oh, I'm glad you're home because your lunch is getting cold. <laughs> And he says, oh my goodness, they know me in paradise. How amazing is this? So he goes in and he looks around the house and he says, look how cozy and warm this house is. Not, this, not the cramped tightness of my house at home. And he tastes his soup and he says, the food here is so amazing. We usually just get broth and noodles at home, but there's this delicious chicken soup that I'm eating in this beautiful home, in this beautiful village. And so he has such a good time there, and he asks the woman of the house, who thinks that uh, uh, this guy is a little bit off, says, can I spend the night here? And she says, okay, sure, you can spend the night here. And he spends the night, and the next morning he gets up, and the woman of the house, who of course is his wife, says to him, okay, here are your tools, it's time to get up and go to work. And he's incredulous, right? Who ever heard of working in paradise, right? It's just the stupidest thing you could possibly imagine. But after a while, he kind of came around after some prodding from uh, the woman of the house that people in paradise have to work too. So, uh, so he went off and he took his tools and went to work. And wouldn't you know it, his work in this village was nothing like his work at home. It was fulfilling and meaningful and purposeful. He was accomplishing important stuff. And so he stayed at that work, in his house, on his street, in the village, in what he thought was paradise, but what we, of course, all know was his village, his street, his house, his wife, 
his job. And over the years, despite people's objections whenever he said it, nobody could ever convince him that he was not, in fact, in paradise. What the Torah is offering in this week's Torah portion is precisely that reorientation to our lives. What if we turned our shoes around? What if instead of focusing on how much we don't have and how much other people have, we see all of the joy and all of the beauty and all of the blessings in what we do have? Just like the man in the story, if we live that way, there will be no need for going to paradise because indeed we will already be living it. And it's precisely why the rabbis say, Ezehu Ashir, Hasameach Bechelko. Who is a rich person? The one who is happy with what he or she has. My blessing for us this Shabbat and every Shabbat is to not only be liberated from the physical things that enslave us, but as Abraham Joshua Heschel says in his interpretation of that 10th commandment, let us also be liberated from things and from our desire to pursue those things. For we are only rich if we truly enjoy and are happy with what we have. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.